Okay, so as I said, um, we're going to be opening up to 1 Corinthians 14 and we'll be working our way through second half of the chapter from verse 26. Last week we talked about and we really introduced the, the charismatic gifts of, of tongues and prophecy, didn't we? We, we talked about them and how um, there's usually a couple of ways that people react to these uh, gifts in church. They either, and it's kind of like two ends of a spectrum, they either neglect them and, and sometimes most of the time that's that's not their fault it's a matter of culture and experience and tradition but then the other the other side of um of that is uh is is the misuse and the um the the type of uh un um, unbridled uh, use of these charismatic gifts that often brings confusion and, and, uh, and difficulty and, and can bring hurt and pain into gatherings. And so um, we talked about how this was the case and how it's kind of like if we neglect it, it's like leaving a boat tied up at the docks, right? And boats aren't supposed to be tied up at the docks forever. Right, we talked about that. That's kind of like one reaction. It's like you've been given this boat and, and well, actually we're just gonna leave it there and you're not to untie it, right? That's, that's one response. And the other response is we're gonna untie the boat, everyone's gonna get in and we're gonna go out to, to the middle of the ocean where there's no land on the horizon. We're gonna throw our safety vests over. We're gonna um, throw the anchor over. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna throw our paddles in. We're gonna get rid of our compass for navigation, our GPS, whatever, and we're just gonna see what happens, right? And that's the other response. And, and unfortunately, we, we usually are at one end or the other of the spectrum and not many times do we get to, to land in the middle, right? And so we talked a lot about the ins and outs of this stuff last week, but we came to the conclusion that our boat no doubt has probably been tied up at the docks um, and and it's not necessarily a matter of neglect more so culture more so um, you know uh, a fear um, more so uh, we've never been taught how to untie it we've never um, needed to open ourselves up to that idea before and and that's and that's okay but we came to a prayer at the end of my message and those of you who were here last week would have heard that prayer and I wanted to repeat it for us um, and it was just a prayer to Jesus in response to this idea that acknowledging that Jesus is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gifts us according to the way he sees fit and he's our king, right? And so we wanna to pray to him and this is the prayer that we prayed. We said, Jesus, we'd like for you to lead us out to sea sometime. And if anyone is gonna lead us, it must be you, okay? <laughs> it's, not, it's not any individual in the church or anything else, but it's you, Lord. You're the one who knows how to keep us safe. You're the one who knows our limits. And you're the one who loves us and desires for us to experience what you've prepared. Right? Your truth and your word um, clearly are the things we want to experience by the power of your spirit. We don't want to be a church that quenches or grieves the Holy Spirit. We don't want to stifle anything God is doing in our midst. We want to commit ourselves to an openness to your Holy Spirit in our lives. Right? We want to commit ourselves to listening for your word. Right? Remembering that tongues and prophecy is all about the transfer of God's truth to the congregation. Okay? And we want to commit ourselves to gathering in such a way that all of us are built up and encouraged. Amen? Amen. 
That was our prayer last week, and I wanted to start with that prayer again today, just thinking that's a good, it's a good little segue into the second half of the chapter. Um, another thing to remember is that uh, chapters 11 to 14 are kind of like a, a little section in this letter to the church in Corinth, and it's all about the gathering together for worship, and we're actually coming to the end of that section today. We're actually, I've actually only got one more week left um, to, to, to preach on chapter 16, and then we're going to be done. And if you're wondering what happened to chapter 15, I looked at that during Easter, I think it was. I managed to do an Easter uh, sermon on the resurrection, okay? So I'm not skipping too much, but, um, you know, time constraints are upon us and, and we're going to finish up next week. And so it's been a cool journey, but Paul is, is finishing up his instructions. What does it look like for the church to gather together, okay? And there's a few things um, that he wanted to remind them of. There needed, and, and one of them was there needed to be some order in the way they gathered together, right? There are a few things that um, going on that prevented their meetings from happening in a timely and orderly way. It was kind of pretty um, haphazard and, and kind of out at, out at sea and a bit of not sure what's going on, no direction, a bit, it felt a bit crazy maybe. We probably would have felt a bit out of place there as, as Wesleyans, you know, as conservatives. And these things also were actually preventing everyone in the church from being uh, built up and encouraged and edified, which is the purpose of gathering together, okay? And so Paul's trying to, trying to wrap things up here and he starts off in verse 26. He says, "'What then shall we say, brothers and sisters?' When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. All right. So Paul seems to be acknowledging that when they gather together for worship, there's a sense of anticipation from everyone involved that they were going to be prepared in some way to share something when they gathered together, which is a pretty awesome attitude about church, right? Um, bringing, bringing something to give, you know, that you could imagine they're, they're, they're going about their week and maybe they meet multiple times a week, who, who knows, but whenever they plan to meet, everyone in the church had a sense in which they knew God had gifted them, they had God's presence in their life, and they were coming to bring something, which is a really cool way to look at, um, look at church. And Paul's saying, while this is great, I want to qualify that enthusiasm with the reminder that everything needs to be done, every gift that you bring, everything that you need to, to bring to contribute to the gathering needs to be done in such a way that everyone is built up, right? Because that's not what was happening. Okay, and so he's reminding them that, hey, we've got a few problems starting to occur with all this eagerness to share and to lead in, in worship and the gathering. And the first problem had to do with the people who were speaking in tongues, gifted in that, and, um, and the way in which they were using their gifts, right? Paul already said that if the gift was going to edify and build up the church, it must be interpreted, right? Because through interpretation, the gift of tongues becomes prophecy or a transfer of God's truth to the rest of the church. Yeah? And so it also seemed that there was many people who were just speaking in tongues all at once, whenever they wanted, and it was a bit all over the place, right? And so Paul makes a few suggestions. He says in verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Okay, so there's pretty plain instructions there. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. That's what he says, okay? 
Now, we talked about tongues speaking last week, and as I said, the, the benefit of, of, of tongues interpreted is that it's, it just becomes a prophetic word for the church, yeah? And, and it actually has power then to edify everyone because everyone can understand, right? Without that, not everyone understands what's being what's being said. And so Paul's encouraging the church as they, as they engage in this, that they should have two or three take turns, right? Not more than that, because then we might get lost and um, it might drag on a little bit, but we'll just have a two or three share and then someone interpret and then everything's done in an orderly way, right? Everyone can, will have time to discern, to understand, to get the message, right that's important and so he finishes up by saying that if there's no interpreter then the tongue speaker needs to stay quiet right and it's what what we're going to see there's three things there's the tongue speaker there's the prophets and then there's the women in the church that are addressed and each one is actually told there comes a time where you need to be silent for the sake of the gathering okay and i know the women being told to be silent is a bit controversial but we're going to get there okay you gotta you gotta hang on for for that okay so the tongue speakers for the sake of everyone do things orderly and and uh and at times you just have to stop right that's what paul's saying i think um you know i want to keep bringing in this idea of god being a god of order and a god of peace and i think um as I shared in my prayer at the start, I might have left this bit out in my preparation. It just didn't come to me until as we're singing and as I'm praying through this, I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is part of God's calling on all of our lives to bring order into our lives, into our families, into our workplace, bring this sense of peace, a lack of anxiety in a, in a time when there's anxiety is just ruling the day. You know, and so this is, this is part of what God's calling us to do. He, he moves on to similar instructions um, with those who have a prophetic gifting, right? And, and we talked about this. Prophetic gifting sounds like, ooh, a bit, bit weird to us conservatives at times. What, do, what does that mean? You know, but it's words of knowledge, words of instruction. You know, it's listening to God in prayer, receiving some truth receiving, you know, um, a word from God and then sharing that as clearly as you can for the benefit of it, for others you're gathered with, right? That's prophetic gift. And so it's the transfer of God's truth to his people. And he's got some instructions for these people. Again, he says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And I think this is like the gift of discernment. Right, the gift of distinguishing between spirits that we read about. It's like this this time where the church actually gets some time to process what's being shared. Right? He says, if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Right? That's a pretty interesting way to do church, <laughs> you know. If someone put their hand up and said, Hey, God's God's speaking to me, you know, Paul's kind of saying, Well, Okay, that requires for the person who's speaking to stop so that then you can share, right? And again, the tongue speaker was told there's times when you need to be silent. Now the prophets are being told there's times where you need to stop talking. You could imagine how unruly it would be to have all these different prophets standing up the front and sharing over the top of one another. And then someone standing up and saying, I've got a word, you know what I mean? And so it's unruly and he's saying, no, there's actually times where the prophet can speak and then they need to be silent so that others can speak, okay? 
He says, you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged, right? And this is the purpose of, of that prophetic ministry, instruction, encouragement, being built up um, by the power of the Spirit. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets. And he says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, right? Verse 33, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Now, I was thinking about an illust- a way to illustrate how unruly this could get. And um, I found out that in 1918, in Australian Parliament, the longest uh, parliamentary sp- speech was given. And it was 12 hours and 40 minutes in Parliament by, by Senator Albert Gardner. Okay, and he was speaking... Um, I imagine everyone would have been nearly fallen asleep, right? He was speaking on the Commonwealth Electoral Bill, okay? And so he spoke for 12 hours and 40 minutes, and it's the longest speech in Australian Parliament history, and it was so long that he even was occasionally allowed to sit down while he continued to speak, okay? Which is normally you have to stand up while you're speaking in Parliament, right? Since then, there's been time limits given for speeches, okay? Since that point. <clears throat> it was... It was actually a reaction. It was a reaction to, to this sense of disorder, this kind of like untimely thing. Most, um, most debates now and, and members of parliament generally get one opportunity to, to share for about 15 to 20 minutes, um, you know, and to give their speech at each stage of a bill, right? And so um, there's different time limits now for answering questions or asking questions, making statements, etc. All right, some of you know this more than I do. I don't give the time of day to any listening of Parliament, unfortunately, but it's just sounds boring. But um, they did this, these things, they created these rules so that the meetings of Parliament can be run in an ordered and timely way. And I get the sense that this is what Paul's trying to do. He's, he's not making these arbitrary rules. He's saying, look, guys, 12 hours and 40 minutes is too long. You know what I mean? He's saying, you get 20 of you guys standing up all at once and it's all a bit crazy and out of order and there's speaking in tongues and there's prophecy here and there and all this. He's going, no, it's not how it should be, right? He's saying, we, we need to get some standing orders in the church, basically, is what he's, what he's trying to bring. And the purpose of bringing that um, was for the sake of everyone being able to be encouraged everyone getting their opportunity to share, everyone being able to contribute, everyone being able to be built up. Okay, and so there were times when the tongue speakers needed to stop so that others could contribute. There was times when the prophets needed to stop so that others could contribute. Now there's one more group of people that Paul addresses and I'm sure we're all waiting to hear what, what is going to be said about this. Oh no, Rob's going to film me. Oh dear. I am, I am recording this, right? It's going online. So I'm, I'm backing up what I'm going to say here, but, it's, but we don't need to worry, right? These are the women who came to the worship service, right? And we need to do a little bit of cultural, historical digging to understand what Paul's instructions mean because an initial reading of them Pretty much the women are getting their pitchforks and torches and whatever else and they're going after this misogynistic guy. You know, that's what it sounds, that's what it can read like. And so we're going to read that. Then we're going to do a little bit of digging. And then I'm going to give you the Scott Griffith version. Okay, with, with, with understanding. So verse 34, 
women should remain silent in the churches. Full stop. It's like, oh no. Why did you say that? They are, they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. It just sounds wrong, doesn't it? If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Oh boy, that sounds pretty crazy. And so I did a bit of study, as, as, I, as I always try and do. And there's a couple of things I think we can bring into this. The first thing is language barriers, okay? 10% of the population were literate in Greek language, right? In Corinth, roughly. This is what they tell me, okay? And so that, that means that there's only a certain amount of people in church that fully understand what's being said from the front in the Greek language, which is the common language of the day, okay? A lot of people move to Corinth from other places where they don't speak Greek as their first language. Okay, because good economical opportunities in the city of Corinth. Um, the other thing is that um, the husbands of the men in the church are the ones who spent their weeks out in the city of Corinth, whether at working at the docks or in the marketplace or doing some sort of trade. And that opportunity to develop their language skills, if Greek wasn't their first language, um, far better than the wife who stayed at home, as was often the case, managing the household, looking after the children, doing all of those things. The women knew enough to get them by in the market, maybe, uh, you know, bare necessities and things, but otherwise they prefer to speak their own language at home, um, you know, when they're amongst their family in their community that they're comfortable with, right? So that, this is fact that I'm told by the scholars. This is how it was, okay? Now you put these women in this context into a church setting where the few literate men and women who were in leadership are speaking and leading worship and reading in Greek, the common language, and you start to get some problems, right, of understanding. This is not their, their normal run-of-the-mill language that they can just sit and listen to all day. Not to mention, there's disorder in the meeting, isn't there? Paul's already been trying to address that. People are speaking over the top of one another. People are um, not, uh, you know, People have all different varying levels of understanding, okay? And it's easy to assume that the women there who normally spend their week working hard for the sake of their family and their community, um, not having opportunity to learn Greek like others do, they probably have some questions, right, about what's being, what's being said. They, they probably are saying to their neighbor, hey, what, did you catch that word? Do you know what that means? You know, probably a bit of this going on during the service, especially navigating probably a pretty new faith to them, new faith experience in a second or third language. Okay, so that, that's part of it, is what I'm told. Another interesting thing I learned was that in Middle Eastern culture, um, different to the West, we, we process information in our heads, right, silently. We got no problems with that. You sit in, in class all day and the teacher speaks or even now today you're processing things in your mind, um, in your head and, and whereas in Middle Eastern culture, they like to process things verbally through conversation, through, hey, yeah, when, when he says this, I think this and that made me think about this thing and they get to talk th through it with their partner, right? And it still happens this way today, okay? And so 
it's not even considered rude at, at university if the lecturer takes a moment to write something on the board or to check something in a textbook. The whole class bursts into conversation about what they're learning, right? And it's not considered like rude or, or wrong, okay? It's just how they process. It's actually, if you, if you go to, um, uh, you know, through Asia and, and other countries, um, I remember my experience in Cambodia, a lot of the, the community there, you can just, you walk through the village and you can hear all the women are, are chatting to one another the whole day. You know, it's just like this background hum of, of life, the life of the village and talking about kids and talking about work and talking about their husbands and talking about all the things that are going on and the things they have to get done, right? And it's very normal for them to just do life this way. And so, um, you know, not to mention, I, I know that's, that's probably the same for my wife, you know, she was doing life in a tight-knit community, there'd be a lot of chatting going on, friends and family come over, all the ladies are together and they're chatting about life, you know what I mean? And so put them in this context of church where one person is sharing from the front and they're not quite a whole lot of understanding of what's being said, that there's probably that urge to be like, Oh, what do you think about this and you know have you thought about that and what does that word mean and you know so there's a bit of this going on the other thing is when else in their life have they been told you have to sit and listen for an hour maybe more to things that you don't actually really understand in in a in a, in a foreign language you know, when have they been told that they had to do that, right? Most of the time they're instructing children, they're doing jobs around the house, they're making plans with the husband, they're um, part of community gatherings, it's trips to the marketplace, they're getting jobs done like, like women do really well, you know? And, and, and there's just not times where they had to sit and listen for an hour or more, right? And so um, it sounds wrong, but there could have even been an attention span issue for like having to sit and listen right whereas some other men might have had more opportunity to be involved in that in learning and education and so some conclude from these verses that women are just Paul's just saying that nah, it's just across the board women shouldn't speak in church obviously we, we can proudly say as a Wesleyan, Wesleyan church in the Wesleyan tradition it's not what we've subscribed to right as an interpretation right you could go through a whole list of, we don't have time for it today, but a bi biblical list, historical list of examples where women assume leadership roles in the church and, and it'd be unfathomable that they wouldn't be allowed to speak in church, right? And so even, even for our own local church and your own experience in church, it'd be unfathomable if we said, uh, actually, we don't want the women to speak, right? And so from our experience, we've seen it's just absolutely essential that, that women are leading and able to speak in church, okay? Not to mention, Paul already affirmed right at the start of this whole thing about gathering together in chapter 11, verse 5. He talks about the women who prayed and prophesied and led worship in the service in Corinth, okay? So there's all of that, right, that we can bring to these verses. Now, what's he saying? Okay, I'm going to give you the Scott Griffith version of verses 34 to uh, where will it be 35 there are times when the women should remain silent in the churches just as the tongue speakers and prophets need to as well okay they are not allowed to speak or chat amongst themselves but must be in submission to the worship leader whether that be a woman or a man as the law says 
If they want to inquire about something because of language barriers, they should ask their own husbands at home who might know a bit more than they do because of their experience with the Greek language in the workplace. <laughs> okay? For it is disgraceful or improper or an interruption for a woman to speak in the church and continually disrupt the already disorderly worship gathering. For the sake of everyone gathered, it can get pretty noisy when everyone is speaking over the top of each other, trying to learn more. Okay, that's the Scott Griffith version. Does that make a bit more sense <laughs> now that I've shared some of those things? Paul concludes the chapter by saying, this is how all the churches organize themselves. So should you. Okay, and so that's... Um, that's that's where I landed with that with that passage and um, we're gonna come now to some application okay some response uh, what what does all of this have to do with us and our gatherings together okay the first thing I want to think of is bringing something to contribute okay and um, such a great way to think about church you know uh, as as not something we come to to receive from but something we come to to give to and to contribute to, right? A testimony, a prayer point, a praise point. Um, not something we do often enough in our church gatherings. And I'd like to make it open, more open for us as a church gathering to say, hey, if you've got something that God does in your life, if he spoke to, your, spoke to you through your Bible reading, if he spoke to you just through something that happened during the week, if you want something you just want to share with us as a praise point or a prayer point there's room for that in our gatherings together on Sundays right you can you can actually ask God when you go home today what am I going to bring next Sunday to church okay and it might be some mandarins off your tree in the backyard like Gordon's been doing <laughs> or it might be actually um, you know I feel like God has given me something that I should share and you can, you can actually bring that and you can, you can share it, okay? Obviously, we've got worship leaders who are contributing songs and, um, and putting thought into the service, scriptures to read and all of this stuff. Could be just encouragement, right? For us as a, as a church family, you go, you know what? I'm going to make sure I encourage this person next Sunday. You know, I just get that sense that they probably need encouragement in this season, in this time. I wonder if maybe I'll bring them a gift. You know, maybe I'll just write them a card and just hand it to them on Sunday and say, hey, open that when you get home. I just wanted to encourage you with it. You know, there's, there's all sorts of ways we can do this, okay? Considering what can I bring as my gift to the church? No less the spiritual gifts that God's empowered you to, to bring, okay? No less the talents, the natural talents and abilities that we bring to share to the church gathering, okay? All of that is really important. And I'd love for us to be a church that says, we're all involved. Today's not just about me. It's not just about the person leading the songs, but it's, it's all of us. We're all able to share and, and be ministered to by one another. Okay? So what are you contributing to the gathering together for worship? Right? It's more than your tithe. It's more than coming and, and, and helping us sing a song. Right? It's, it's those things, but it's more than that. And, what, and, and that's actually a good question to ask every week. God, what do you want me to bring to church on Sunday? Okay, that's a good question to ask. And we need to, we need to reflect on that more often. The next thing is, um, how can we bring order and peace into our lives? Okay, our lives personally, 
the way that we manage our our week to week lives and the and the things that are that are happening and of course life throws all sorts of curveballs at us and it's difficult to to find order and peace at times right especially when you know um like the larkham family they're in they're in a pretty crazy time at the moment right but there's day-to-day things we can do to ensure that we have order and peace in our lives how are we able to do that maybe it's it's a prayer like god i want to bring order and peace into my family Show me, show me something I can do, something I can change about, about the way I'm living to bring order and peace into my children's lives or into my um, wife's life or into my husband's life or whatever, whatever it be, you know? How can I bring order and peace into the workplace? As just like a prophetic sign of I'm under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, and He's a God of peace and He's a God of order and I can assist you in, in, in bringing that into, into your life too. Okay, there could be ways in which you could incorporate that into your, into your workplace. Amongst friendship groups at school, you know, for some of us who are in school and going through that. How can I bring order and peace into, into my close friends' lives? Is there something I can do to bring encouragement or to bring a gift of just, hey, it's going to be okay. I think, I think we're going to get through this. Things are going to be all right when something goes wrong, you know. How can we bring that into the life of our school, our community, workplace, families, friendships? It's very important for us. The final thing is... um, Actually, no, we'll leave it at that. That's good. Let's leave it at that. So there's some points of application. And I um, want to encourage you to reflect on them now as we, as we close in prayer. Lord, uh, we just come to you now and um, we thank you for your word. And Lord, you know, our, our services are rarely um, out of order. We put a lot of effort into order, God. We put a lot of effort into, into um, you know, being able to listen to one another. Um, Lord, but we know that our lives can sometimes be a bit out of order, a bit um, unpeaceful at times. Um, Lord, we want to we ask for your help. And we just want to call upon the God of peace and say, actually, there's, this is something we can't always do ourselves. We need your help with this, God. Would you lead us? Show us that step, the first step to take towards a life of peace under you and under your Lordship. Would you pour out your, your presence in our lives that we'd, we'd just really know each, each step to take each day? Would you encourage us to, to um, fan into flame the gift that we have, Lord, to bring to our gatherings? Lord, I, I get the sense that some of us have, have got gifts that need to be unlocked, <laughs> you know, whether it be sharing, sharing a word sharing your truth with us so that we can be built up and edified and encouraged and strengthened as a church family. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd uh, let there just be open communication. Let there be clarity in our minds about what you're asking us to do, what we can bring to our gatherings together. We just want to wait on you and just ask for your, ask for your help and your clarification for our friendships for our families, for our work um, places, for our schools, the different communities that we're a part of, God. 
We just want to ask for your, for your help to, to let us be vessels of change, um, vessels of transformation, people who can bring order and peace into other people's lives in a time when there's just no peace in the world. There's, there's anxiety. There's, there's all sorts of um, struggles going on, God. And we just, we just want to be people who can bring hope, people who can say, you know, I trust in Jesus. Everything's going to be okay. I pray that our, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the decisions that we make would be shaped by this truth. We really want to call upon you to, to, to lead us in that today, Lord. Thank you for this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.